It's lovely to be with you this morning here in the lifeboat and uh, to bring God's word. And we trust that God will help us today and that we will be able to uh, glean encouragement from God's word. We're going to turn together, please, to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke and chapter 15, Luke's Gospel and chapter 15. And we're going to commence to read, please, Luke 15 and verse 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said unto his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he fain would have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when his father was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now the elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. And would not go in, therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured the, his, thy living with harlots, Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. He said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. Amen, and we know God will bless the public reading of his word. Let's unite in prayer. 
Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the privilege of coming before your throne. We thank you for the privilege of having the Word of God. And we do ask again, Lord, for a covering of your precious blood upon this gathering. And we do, in Jesus' name, take authority over every power and influence of darkness, Lord, and everything that would bring a dumbness and a dullness to the hearts and minds and spirits of men and women. We pray, Lord, that you would draw near to us. I acknowledge my need. I lay myself, Lord, before you. And I pray that you will cleanse me and sanctify me, body, soul, and spirit. Grant now the anointing and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, fill this place with a sense of your presence and power. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. This wonderful story that the Lord Jesus Christ told and is so familiar to many, even those who are children from Sunday school, the story of the prodigal son, the son who left the father and eventually returned home. There are many truths contained in this passage of Scripture. The primary one conveyed is that of the love of the Father. You see, this was the Lord Jesus who at that stage in his ministry was not accepted by all to be the Son of God, nor to be one who had come from heaven. Some felt he was an imposter. Some felt he was merely a prophet. But Jesus, of course, had ever been with the Father. He had dwelt eternally in the bosom of the Father. And therefore, when he came, he came to convey what he knew. He was conveying to earth something that earth was not familiar with, and that was the love of God. To explain in a simple parable to ordinary people like you and me, just what God is like. And it's a wonderful story because not only is that great truth to be contained and found in this passage, but there are many other truths that are alluded to. And I'm going to look at this passage and I'm going to come from a slightly unusual angle to what men and women perhaps normally take this passage and do their exegesis with it. Because I want to consider this morning, what was it that caused the son to leave the father? Why did the youngest son leave home? What was it? We have many, many um, reasons, but we're going to look at several this morning, not all of them, but several. And so, just as today men and women who, and we meet them, men and women who once walked with God and were bright for the Lord, today are no longer found in the house of God and would perhaps say that they even didn't believe in God anymore. So, there is always a reason People don't simply fall away from God in public. 
When they disappear from God and from his house in public, it's because there has been a private departure that has occurred over a long period of time. Someone said on one occasion, leaving God and leaving the Father is not a blowout, but it's a slow puncture, a gradual departure. And so we want to look at why, some of the reasons why the youngest son left his brother and more importantly left his father and his father's house. The first thing I want you to see is that the fellowship that he had with his father, he didn't really value it. He didn't see it as being vitally important in his life to spend time with his father. In fact, the scripture says that a day came and he was quite young when he simply said to his father, give me the portion of goods that belong to me. And the father divided them and then it says, not many days afterwards, he left. You see, Today there are many people, and they are sons and daughters of God, but they do not value fellowship with God. The interesting thing about these two sons is that although they both spent time with their father, yet neither of them truly knew their father. You say, what do you mean they didn't know their father? Well, when the prodigal returned home, his mantra was, I will say to my father, I am not worthy. Make me as one of thy hired servants. That thought never crossed his father's mind. The father said, bring out the robe, bring out the ring, bring out the shoes. He didn't know the love of his father. The son who didn't leave, when he came and stood outside the house, he said, all the time that I stayed with you, I never was in a situation where where I got a calf, where anything was done for me, the father said it was always yours. You could have had what you wanted. Neither of them knew their father. And so I want to challenge you this morning about spending time with God. It is only as you spend time with God that you will get to know your father. There is so much about the Father that we don't know. But there are many things that he wants us to know. I may have said this before, but my youngest daughter on many occasions growing up at the table, the conversation used to come up about heaven. And she would say, well, I don't know... Um, whether I really, you know, uh, would enjoy heaven because 
What, what if you got there and then you became bored? It's a legitimate question. What if you get bored in the place and then you can't get out of it? And she felt a little bit trapped with that thought. Thankfully, I had read enough to be able to tell her, well, that won't happen. That can't happen. Because God is eternal. And God is going to be continually and eternally unfolding his person, his wisdom, and his grace into our lives. We're going to know him more and more and more for all eternity. There is no, there is no coming to a point where we have exhausted God because he is infinite and he is eternal. That cannot happen. And that's why heaven will never be boring. If you hadn't thought of it already, God already has planted in you and I that desire for more information. No matter how much you ever hear, you want to hear more. No matter how much you see, you want to see more. Where did that come from? Well, it came from God. And God has the capacity, because he is God, to fulfill the desires and longings of our heart, not only while we're alive on earth, but also when we enter into heaven. And as the ages progress, that revelation will continue. I wonder this morning, do you value or do you place value on fellowship with the Father. How you do that is by spending time with God privately each day. It is by taking time to read the Word of God and to ask God to speak to you through the Scriptures. And then it is you talking to God and bringing to him your worship, bringing to him your thanksgiving, bringing to him your difficulties, your trials, whatever it might be, and confessing the feelings that may have occurred in your life. But it is during that period where Jesus said that we must enter into our closet, that there we can fellowship with the Father. One thing I have noticed over many years is that Christians who fellowship much with God, when you meet with them or when you pray with them, they carry an insight about God, a personal insight that others don't have. I remember Douglas Crossman, I believe he went to be with the Lord recently, and he came and stayed in our home. He was a convention speaker from England. And I remember him telling us that uh, 
when he was with Duncan Campbell, who was used in the Hebridean revival. Of course, he was the primary instrument that was used, but Duncan Campbell, more importantly than being used in revival, he was a man who was completely devoted to Christ, and he lived in an atmosphere of prayer, and he loved the Lord. And Douglas Crossman said that when you were in his company, he said there was a literal sense, like an air of the presence of God was literally with the man when you were in his company. You could sense God with him. The same, interestingly, was said of the great revivalist in Wales. Whenever he walked in, the young man who was converted and was the instrument in the revival, whenever he came in and walked across the balcony, he was much older by this stage, and when he walked across and sat in the balcony of a church, the preacher was sitting, and the preacher looked round and said, who is that man? Who is that man? And he looked up and he said, that's the revivalist. And he said, God is with that man. Could sense God was with him. It's because of fellowship with God. And so, dear friend, if you have abandoned the place of prayer, if you have abandoned the Word of God, perhaps because of whatever, I encourage you, I encourage you to invest in fellowship with God. Invest in fellowship with God. The first reason the Son left the Father was because the fellowship with God wasn't valued. Secondly, because the inheritance meant everything to him. God is utilized for our benefit, a means rather than an end. Now, if one was to look at the church today across the world, I think the church that would be most guilty in this particular point would be the American church. That is the money preachers. Some say blab it and grab it. They have different names, but nevertheless. So it, it is in certain word of faith movements and so on, in America where they say that God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to have a big car and a big house, and God wants you to have buildings and properties. And, and this, is, this is advocated in many churches in America. And sadly, there are many people because they want healing, because they want something from God. They believe that these preachers, if they will but give their money and give their 10% or sometimes more, if they give it to these particular ministries, then God will heal them or God, and, and it doesn't work. The only ones who come out on top are the preachers. It's really using God like a slot machine. And sadly, in America, it is really a way of using the gospel as a means to fulfill the American dream. Well, that's what happened this young man. He, he belonged to the Father. He's representative of a child of God, but he wasn't really interested in the Father. 
but he was very interested in the inheritance. He liked what God would give him in the here and now and what he would do with it. Do you remember the rich farmer that Jesus spoke of in Luke's gospel? And he was doing well financially, and then he really did well because he knocked down his barns and built greater. And then he began to speak to himself, and he said, you know, I have, I have built these great barns, and I have led them up for many years. And he talked to his soul, and he said, you know, you're, you're going to have, you've done well, and the future's bright. The problems of life are past. Finances are, are plentiful. And he, 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 he had it all worked out. But there was a voice above him and he didn't hear it. And the voice said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be? Things. It's either your soul or things. I want to ask you this morning, is your life full of things? Is your future and everything that you see is truly valuable this morning, could it come under the category of things? Because those things will one day be forgotten. Leonard Ravenhill, I think it was said many years ago, there will be many Christians who will arrive in heaven as poor millionaires. In other words, they lived for things and they did well on earth and they got plenty of money, but they never fellowshiped with God and they will be poor millionaires. We all have to make decisions in our private lives as to whether my soul and its relationship with God will be primary in my life or if things will take up my life. Solomon, sadly, the man who was the wisest on earth other than Jesus, the wisest man on earth, yet he made bad decisions. He took up after things. He became taken up with the inheritance, with what God gave him. And my, did he not expand his kingdom? Did he not enjoy life? Did he not take all the privileges and pleasures that life could afford him? And yet when we come to his insights and his wisdom being utilized at the latter end of his life, he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He said, it's all nothing. It's a wise man or woman who recognizes that everything in this life is fleeting. And what did he say when he came to the end of that great book of Ecclesiastes of learning? He said, this is the end of everything I have learned with all my wisdom that God supernaturally gave me on earth, with all that I have learned. 
This is what I believe you need to do. You need to fear God and keep His commandments. To fear God does not mean to be afraid of God. To fear God means to respect Him and to recognize His existence. To acknowledge His laws and to acknowledge that I am accountable to Him. And one day I will stand as a Christian at what's called the Bema Seat where the Lord will assess my life. And God will then determine whether I get gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. God will then determine that at the Bema. You see, friends, the inheritance meant everything but not fellowship with God. What caused this son to leave the father? Well, the father was distrusted, and that really follows on from the first point. He was distrusted in that he couldn't wait. You see, what he did was actually unacceptable in Jewish times to come to his father and say, give me half of the possessions. What he really was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. And sadly, sometimes you see that happening with people, and maybe parents have got some money. And the children, you know, nearly prefer mom and dad just to be gone. Someone said, where there's a will, there's a relative. Well, that's what he was doing. He distrusted. He couldn't, he couldn't accept the timing. He couldn't wait. He said, I can't wait on my father. I can't wait on God. And I have no doubt there are some here this morning, there are some young people here this morning, and you might not be a Christian, but I have no doubt that's exactly where you are, because the wonderful thing about the Bible is that it gives an insight into every human heart, Christian, non-Christian, backslider, they're all mentioned in the Bible. And the Bible gives such detail of the state of the heart. And this young man is so reflected in many young people who are brought up in Christian homes. I can't wait on God. I'm not in for God. Listen, I see the here and now. I see this world before me. And so that's what I want. And if I could just get free from God. If I could just escape from all this Bible stuff, I'd be free. My wife, it's many years now since I heard her testimony, but I used to listen to it regularly when we went to meetings together. 
He was brought up in a strict home up in the Isle of Lewis, the Isle of Harris, Western Isles. Very strict Presbyterian. Every person went to church, every home the Bible was read. At night, whether they were Christian or they weren't Christian, the Bible was read and prayers were offered. That was the tradition of the people. But she hated it. And she couldn't wait to be free. Couldn't wait to be free. And she saw one day, it'll mean nothing to the younger ones, but the older ones, you remember, the punk rockers. Basically, people that dressed ridiculously, suppose they're still those today, and they had safety pins in all the wrong places, as in in your nose or your side of your ear. Or, and she saw that on TV and she said, that's who I want to be. And that's who she became. And she left that island and she left with every intention of never going back. I want free from my mom and dad. I want free from this God and this religion and this church. And she said, I jumped into the world and she did jump into it. But let me say a word to those of you who are parents, and maybe you have a child like that. My mother-in-law is a praying woman, and she prayed and prayed and prayed for her daughter. And after years of praying, one day God spoke to her mother. And said to her, I have heard your cry, and I will attend to your prayer. And through the prayers of her mother, and the grace of God, in the darkness of her sin, living among people who were not remotely aware even of God or his existence, into that darkness where he was, God began to speak. And it led her, just like the prodigal, to make the long journey back to her island home. And there she met Christ. You see, my dear friends, she better than me could explain that she didn't trust that God could fulfill her dreams, that God could do anything for her. And maybe you're like that today. You see, that independence from God for this young man meant freedom. Freedom. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, if you have a Bible with you, to the Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Now listen carefully. You can't, nobody can be a spiritual vacuum. A vacuum means we're nothing, there's nothing there. We always have to have something in us. We can't be 
a vacuum. And what happened in the life of this young man is what I have no doubt has happened in the lives of some people here today. And that is just like the chain of thoughts we have gone through. You say, I want to be free. I don't want God. I don't even want to be here today. I don't want to listen to you. That's okay. Join the club. You're in with, you're in with this guy. That's where he was. But remember, there's no vacuum. Now, before we deal with you, let's, let's present this truth on a wider scale or a, or a, a greater scale. For centuries, this country, England, Europe, where the Reformation took place and the Protestant faith spread through the world, the fear of God and the law of God was embedded into the cultures of so many nations. And so sin... And evil was kept at bay. It was kept chained and held down because of law, because of the influence of the Reformation and the Bible. But a couple of generations ago, those same nations decided that they had had enough of God. And so God was removed. The impact of it didn't become apparent at the time. Because you can have a person who's not interested in God alone, but if their grandfather was God-fearing, there's a lot of blessings will accrue, come down. A couple of generations, the fear of God, the influence of the law of God, still there. But after about two to three generations, then, then the person and the, the family can go completely godless. And so after two to three generations, which we're at now, do you see a change in culture where God was put out? We haven't got a vacuum now. We haven't got a vacuum. We have the replacement of God in our culture. It just happens to be really becoming apparent to us in the last 20 to 30 years, really apparent. Now let's come back to the individual. Whenever he left the Father, what was the motivation? What was it that was filling his heart? He didn't want fellowship with the Father. He didn't want the Father. So what was, live, what was going on inside this guy's heart? Well, the same as what goes inside a nation or a person or a people when they remove God. If you remove the law of God, you're going to get other laws. It's going to happen. So does the Bible tell us what happens when you take away God? Sure it does. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, this is the detailed account of the nature of a man or woman who is not regenerated, who doesn't have God. This is, this is really what they're like. 
the works or the outworking of the flesh is manifest. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, which really means all forms of perversion, lasciviousness. If you wanted an idea of what lasciviousness is, I don't encourage you to do it or to go to it, but if you went to gay pride, that's lasciviousness. It's the outlandish, it's, it's the grotesque, it's, it's the defiling to the eyes and the heart in a society. Every one of these, the first four, adultery, fornication, unclean, lasciviousness, are all to do with sexual uncleanness. What happens when you remove God from a culture? Well, sexual uncleanness will become the God. And if you don't believe me, look up your YouTube or whatever. There were gods, by the way, I can't remember the name. I was looking it up recently. There were gods that were both male and female and had no, no, no gender. They were gods. The people worshipped them. The culture of Rome, the culture of the nations before Christianity broke out on the day of Pentecost, spread through Israel, and then into the Gentile nations. My dear friends, that was the culture of Rome. Pedophilia was normal in Rome. Pedophilia will return. When you remove God, the flesh and its gods come in in its place, and they manifest, and they're manifesting now. Sexual perversion, lasciviousness, every form of sexual deviation. God laid down a normal, and sex was introduced and made by God for procreation. But sexual the sexual life is like a fire. And when God designed it, he had to put parameters on it. And God said it only operates inside a marriage. You know what happens if you remove the perimeters from a fire? It goes out of control. And it's very damaging. We are at a place now in our society when people no longer know what's right or what's wrong. They no longer know what is truth or a lie. Look on. The first ones are to do with sexuality. The next ones follow on idolatry and witchcraft. Some of you in your Bible might read it as sorcery. Idolatry is simply the making of a god. If you displace and get rid of God, then you have another God. People today who claim to be atheists, they say, we don't have any belief. We don't have any religion. Everybody has a religion. Everybody has a faith. Atheists have faith. Their faith is in their understanding that God does not exist. That is their belief with the facts presented before them of the world that they see, they say, we don't believe God exists. So therefore, that is their religion. Everybody has a belief. 
Everybody has faith. There are many dear Roman Catholics today, and they will spend much of their time praying to the Virgin Mary. And that will be a pointless procedure because Mary is just a person like you and I. She was the Blessed Virgin. She bore the Lord, but she was a sinner who needed to be saved. And so they have great faith in Mary, but that faith has no grounds because Mary did not die and rise again and ascend to heaven. But the basis of our faith as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is that we believe the evidence points to a man who came from heaven, who died on the cross, who rose again. Not only does the Bible state it, but historians also state it, that he rose again on the third day, and all his followers, most of them, actually died in the belief that he did die and rise again. The evidence is there that there is a God and that his son died and rose again for the sins of mankind. You see, my dear friends, it talks about idolatry. And then it talks about witchcraft, which simply means control or manipulation. Then it talks about conflict, fighting. And then it talks, finally, about excess. Now, if you take the time, for my time doesn't, I'm not granted to do it in detail, but if you take the time to read those carefully, you will discover that those are the traits of society whenever you remove God. You want freedom? This young man took off. What does his brother say whenever he comes back to the father? He said he has wasted everything on harlots. He was sexually deviant because he didn't want to be with the father. But look where his sin brought him. Look where his sin brought him. I often say when you go to, I was going to say Wellworth, but that's a long time ago, but when you go to Tesco or Asda, you go in with your trolley and you can do what you want and fill it up and whatever, and you can walk around all day. You can do what you like. It's a bit like life. You can, you can go where you like. You can do what you like. And, and in society today, you literally can do whatever you like. And the government will affirm you. And the more wicked and perverse you are, the more you will be getting medals and uh, uh, accolades from the world. But what you've got to remember is that when you do all that in Tesco and go around, there's a thing called checkout. You've got to pay for it. And that's the thing this world doesn't think about. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Reaping day has come. He thought he would be free. He thought he would enjoy by path meadow. 
But I want to move quickly on. What were some of the reasons this young fellow left the father? He left the father because there was something about his brother. This brother didn't turn nasty just at the end. This brother was nasty all the time. It's one of the reasons why Jesus mentions and puts a good part of the parable regarding this brother that didn't leave. He was his brother. They had the same father. But my, this brother wasn't nice. And he was the older brother. You see, neither of them knew the father, really. One stayed, one left, but neither of them understood the Father. Now you say, Alan, I, I, I have never, I'm not going to forsake the Lord. I'm not going to turn. Ah, but let me ask you a question, my friend. Is it possible for you and I there could be traits of the older brother? Could there be those traits in us? He had really a bad attitude. He should have rejoiced whenever the brother came home, but he didn't. He should have loved like his father loved. He should have ran to meet his brother when his father ran to meet, but he didn't. It's possible, my friend, to be with the father within the gatherings within the home but not have much love. The brother was self-righteous. You see, what should have happened was that the older brother should have learned about his father and then he should have shared that with his younger brother. Should have showed love to his younger brother. The younger brother might never have left. You see, it's how you and I in the church treat people. It's how we behave that will have a bearing as to whether the others will stay or if they'll come. Well, we have mentioned the allurement of the world, and I don't want to go into that. But let me conclude with this young man, the reason and the causes of him leaving his father. Whenever he decided to go, 
It says there were several days at least before he left. Before ever you turn your back on God or walk away from God, the Holy Spirit will do a lot in your life to stop you. You see, my friends, I want to bring you to that home because this father, during those days, would have been shedding tears. And his son would have seen the tears. Oh, Dad, stop crying. Oh, he would feel it. He would feel it. The father doesn't want him to go. Dad, please give me the money. Son, it'll be very difficult to get all that money gathered together. Dad, I want the money. You'll have to give me time. Can't give you time. I want the money now. The dad holding back, holding back. Son, why are you going? Why are you leaving? Am I not enough? Has the home not been good enough? Did I do something on you? My friend, there was no more wonderful home to be in than this home with the Father. Son, there'll be consequences. Don't want to hear. Son, you're taking a wrong road. But you know the wonderful thing about God as we close? Is that the Father didn't cage him up. He could have, but he didn't. He said, son, if you don't want to be with me, then I'll let you go. God will let you do that. He did it with Satan whenever he rebelled in heaven. And Satan said, I don't want you. I'll govern myself. I don't want your laws, your rules. I don't want it. God says, that's okay. Want nothing to do with God. And you know, God was so kind to Lucifer. I don't know if you ever thought of it. But God was so kind to Lucifer because God made him hell. God says, I'll give you what you want. You want me to be absent from everything? I'll make a place where I'm absent. And that will be your heaven. That will be your heaven. And every man or woman that has the same attitude to God, God reluctantly 
and tearfully says, I will give you that choice. And if you want to live without me, I will let you live without me. If you want to die without me, I will let you die without me. And I will give you your heaven. A heaven without me. I wonder this morning as we conclude, is there someone here and you're saying that's exactly where I am. That's exactly where I am. I want to encourage you to begin to talk to God. To begin to talk to God. And I would encourage parents whose children are perhaps on that way. You talk to God as well. You talk to God. Because you can force and coerce and try everything. But salvation is of the Lord. It has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. My dear friends, as I close, the most comforting and wonderful thought in this passage to me is that when this young man was returning and was a far distance away, the father saw him and ran to meet him. And that tells me that the God that came into my life in the person of Jesus Christ over 40 years ago, if I feel him, his arms are always open to me. And not only can I enjoy his presence and fellowship here on earth. But thank God there's a day coming when we'll meet him in heaven. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your precious word. We pray that you'll apply these simple truths to our lives. We pray for any Lord that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to and working in them that you would convict, that you would bring salvation, Lord. O Heavenly Father, we ask that the Spirit of God would do that deep work that only he can do in bringing men and women and young people to Jesus Christ. We ask it and give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.